A pastor was asked to speak at the funeral of a man who helped develop the Boeing 747 aircraft. And after the funeral, he spoke with this man's wife where she informed him that for 15 years, her husband had spent a great deal of time developing a tiny switch box. And when that Boeing 747 took off for the first time, she said it was the happiest day of his life. A Boeing 747 weighs over 400,000 pounds, but it cannot and it could not take off without that tiny little switch box. You know, to a lot of people in your family, to people that you work with, to your neighbors and acquaintances in life, this tiny little book doesn't appear to be a whole lot to them. It's just the book, right? But to you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know better. Because you know without this book, as a Christian, you could never take off. You know as a believer, without this book, you would be grounded spiritually. This book is everything. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter closes with the focus on the preservation of God's Word. It's what we saw last week. God has both inspired and preserved His Word for us, just as He promised. And Peter was moved to inform us that it is incorruptible. We have a pure Word. Now, today what we need to do is we need to examine the effect of that. And the effect is this, a pure word produces a pure life. Now, this is critical. A pure word produces a pure life. That is the effect, ultimately. And we see this in the opening verse of 1 Peter chapter 2, where we're going to be this morning. Peter said, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. So this word, wherefore, is obviously connected to what we have looked at before we got to this verse. So in other words, having a pure word has an effect. It's, there's a laying aside effect. There's a laying aside effect. So the word of God affects, number one, our disciplines. It affects our disciplines. When we're talking about disciplines in this context, we're talking about things that are fixtures in our lives. We're talking about things that are a staple. And the phrase laying aside validates this because before our souls were purified at salvation, the things that Peter mentions here in his opening verse, malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and all evil speakings, these were unholy disciplines in our lives. They were. But now that our souls are purified and God has given us a pure word, we can lay aside these things because the pure word of God affects what we put on as well as what we put away in terms of the disciplines 
in our lives, in terms of the things that are fixtures in our lives. And in verse 1, he named five specific things that the pure word of God will lead you to lay aside or put away. Very clearly. Before breaking them down, we should remember, though, we should remember the audience that Peter was writing to. We should remember the conditions of life that they were in. They were suffering. They were being persecuted by wicked people and would have been tempted to not lay these things aside, would have felt justified to hold on to these things just as we would from a human perspective. But here is the other truth about these five traits that you look at here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Please hear me very carefully. These are traits of the devil. These five traits are traits of the devil. That's important. Malice. This word is found at the root of the word malicious. So this gives us immediate insight into what we're looking at here. And I love how the Webster's Dictionary or English Dictionary of 1828, I love how they broke this word down. I have it in your notes. Malice is extreme enmity of heart or malevolence. A disposition to injure others without cause, from mere personal gratification or from a spirit of revenge, unprovoked malignity or spite. That's dark. Guile. This is using defeat, deceitful speech with the intent of misleading others. And you need to know, and I need to know, that this trait, too, is very unchristlike. Look down at verse 22. Speaking of Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So if there was no guile found in the mouth of Jesus Christ, then there should be no guile found in yours. Hypocrisies. This is pretentious behavior. Meaning that we are disingenuous. We say and do things, including ministry, for the sake of outward appearance only. We're performing. We're not real. Envies. Envy, you should know, is the neighbor, very close neighbor, of covetousness. They're very tight. Because the envious person is never content, and with ill will they long for what others have. And listen, I am aware, I am aware of some of the, some of the behaviors of Christians today uh, who will peek on the social media platforms of others. They, 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 they will peek on the, the social media um, platform of an ex. And what they're looking for is they want to see now who he's with or who she's with. And they begin to compare. Is she more attractive than me? Is he, is he more accomplished than me? And then they're also checking out their lifestyle. How are they living? 
Do they have more than me? And there are believers who do this, and they walk away from doing that, and all of a sudden they realize, I married the wrong person. (laughs) Or, I need a bigger house. That's envy. It's dark. Evil speakings. This is defamation. This is speech that is designed to slander and injure someone's reputation. And to my discredit, before I met Jesus Christ and was born again, all five of these things were fixtures in my life. All five. All five of them were a part of my life and... I'm guessing I probably wasn't, I'm probably not alone. Peter and Paul's point was this. These traits have no place in the life of a believer in any season of life. It doesn't matter if you're being persecuted, you're being mistreated. It doesn't matter. You're going through a difficult time. It doesn't matter. You've lost everything. It doesn't matter. These five things have no place in your life as a believer. And if you're walking with God through the Word of God, the Word of God will absolutely lead you to lay these things aside. They'll have no place in your life. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking Be put away from you with all malice. But he didn't stop there. Because in verse verse 32, uh, he gives us what we are to replace those things with. Would you look at it? And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Here's what we absolutely must understand about the traits that Peter mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what we must understand. The traits that he mentioned there are traits of death. These are traits of death. What these traits do is they destroy you and they destroy your relationships. These are traits of death. They are killers. And while our souls have been purified, we still have this sinful flesh, don't we? The question becomes this morning is this, how do we go from Ephesians 4.31 to Ephesians 4.32? Because it's Ephesians 4.32 that we need to, that's where we need to be. But how do we do that? The answer is given in the next verse of 1 Peter 2. and verse 2, as newborn babes desire the milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So that gives us some insight into the spiritual condition or where the, the, where the believers were in terms of their spiritual growth. They were babes in Christ. These were new converts. 
And as newborn babes, Peter commanded them to do something. And what he commanded them to do is the same thing that is applicable to all believers in Jesus Christ, whether you are new to the faith or whether you've been saved for 40 years. And what is that? Desire the sincere milk of the word. Listen, I don't care if you've been saved for 30 years. You must have a desire for the word. You must. Peter was referring to the pure, unadulterated word of God. So the word of God affects our disciplines, but listen, it also affects our desire. It affects our desire. It does. Peter drew from a well-known natural truth, which is newborns desire milk, don't they? (laughs) They do. And that desire can be intense, right? Listen, I remember when Ken was an infant and he'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning screaming. I mean, it would shake the house. And my heart would be racing. I mean, he was like, give me milk now. (laughs) You better feed me fast. I mean, it was like, okay, you got to get the bottle. And Lori's trying to, you know, hold him while I'm trying to take the bottle. And I got to heat it up, but it can't be too hot. So I got to make sure. And I mean, it is it is 60 seconds of intensity. It was anyway. He didn't want to play. He didn't want to cuddle, just hang out. Man, give me some milk. I mean, we're going to have problems more than we already have. But guess what happened as we kept doing that? He kept growing. He kept growing. In this, listen, I'm telling you, in this, we come to what I'm going to call a gargantuan truth. And I'm not trying to be big words here, but I I, I chose that word very, I'm talking about a massive, gargantuan, colossal truth. Desire determines growth. That's the truth. Desire determines growth. That is a massive truth. Did you notice? Desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? Why did Peter issue that command? That ye may grow thereby. There it is. That's why. He commanded them and us to desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Listen, the cry of an infant for milk is a cry of desire. It's a cry of desire. Listen, as much as they need it, they want it. 
And when we're talking about desire, that's what we're always talking about. We're always talking about want to. What is it that you want? What is it that you crave? What is it that you desire? When a baby is screaming for milk, they're saying, I need it, but I want it. Give it to me. And what is the effect of that? They grow. They grow. But here is another gargantuan truth. It is as large as the one I just gave you. Listen, ultimately, people do not grow spiritually, listen, because they do not want to grow spiritually. That is ultimately why people do not grow spiritually. They don't want to. It's not because they're not smart enough. It's not because life has dealt them some unique set of circumstances that prohibit them from doing so. It is simply because it is not what they want. It's not what they desire. And here is an ironclad principle that I have had to accept, respect, and simply make peace with in ministry. From a leadership perspective, the one thing we cannot do is give people a desire for the Word of God. I can't do that. I cannot do that. I cannot give someone an appetite for the Word. I can't do it. I cannot give someone want to. I can't do it. I can talk about it. Peter commanded it. <laughs> but even then, it is still up to the believer. To those who are faithful to life fellowship... You know who calls Life Fellowship home. You know. So you recognize that there are people who are no longer here who were once here. You know that. You can do that math pretty easily. And you also recognize that there are people who are not with us as much as they are with us. So for every two weeks they string together, there is at least two to four that they're not here. Now, please, I want you to hear from me. <laughs> let, let me tell you, if, if you think that I just, that just rolls off my back and that doesn't affect me, you are sadly mistaken. No, in a word, it's grievous. It's a gut punch. It hurts. Why is that? 
because I know what happens to a family when a man is not mature enough to lead his family in a way that says, listen, just so we're clear, there's no discussion about what we do on Sunday mornings. None. None. As it relates to next Sunday, it's already been decided. It's decided. And if we're not going to be here, there is a valid reason. (laughs) There was an unforeseen emergency, and that is so very rare. Or I'm out of town, or we're on vacation. If it's not one of those, I'm going to be here. My wife is going to be here, and so will my children. Husbands, fathers, with everything in me, you are sowing death, and I do mean death, into your family. When you have sent the message to them that this is optional. These are the same people that I eventually find myself having conversations with where they can't seem to figure out why their kids are in college now and want nothing to do with the Lord. I wonder why. They're just following your playbook. They got the message from you. You taught them that this is optional. That hurts. It's not some power thing. You better be in my class. It's not that. I know where this is going in your life and in your family when you treat it like that. And with everything in me, I want to say to you, don't do that. But here's the bottom line. The people who are faithful to life fellowship are faithful because they want to be. It's what they desire. And to those who aren't, they're not for the same reason. It's not what they want. They want something else. Regardless of how we have counseled, admonished, Begged, prayed, loved. If they do not want to grow, we cannot make them want to. I can preach until the sweat is pouring down my face. And they will walk out of here as if they did not hear a single word. A gut punch. If there is a desire for the word, there will be a desire for spiritual growth, and you will see it. But I want to share this with you from Christ's perspective. It's in your notes. Matthew 13, 34. 
All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Parables both revealed and concealed truth. And Jesus used parables, listen, to hide truth from those who did not want truth. This is why I said earlier that desire determines growth. Jesus, one of the reasons that he used parables was to hide truth from those who did not want it. So if you don't have an appetite, if you don't want it, then you're not going to get it, which means you're not going to grow. The religious leaders had their minds made up about Jesus. And there was nothing that he would do or nothing that he would say that was going to change that. So guess what he did? He made a clear distinction between those who had ears to hear and those who didn't. So to those who had ears to hear, guess what? They got truth. <laughs> and to those who didn't, they were scratching their heads. And it came down, as it always does, it came down to desires. Leaders, I'm talking to the leaders, I'm talking to the teachers in life and in Midtown. Listen, we cannot, and, and trust me when I tell you, I get this. I know the agony, I know the hurt, I know the disappointment. Listen, you cannot, we cannot get hung up on who showed up and who didn't. Who's here this week and who's not? Who signed up and who didn't and who didn't show up? No control over that. You know, the, the, the thing that really blows my mind is so simple. The Lord is, he's a genius, right? On so many levels. But in the parable about building your house on the rock versus building it on sand, you know what always gets me about that parable? Is everybody heard the same message. But there were two distinct responses to it. One response was to build the house on the rock. And the other response was to build it on sand. Here's what's also interesting about that parable. Both parties faced the same storms. The same exact storm. The house that was built on the rock endured the storm, and the house that was built on sand, great was the fall of it. This is what I know. In this room and in that room here in a few minutes, we're all hearing the same thing. And there will be one of two responses to it every single time. Whether it's salvation, discipleship, our time here, main service, please hear me. We cannot feed anyone who's not hungry. Can't do it. 
And to those who are being discipled here, in order for that to happen, there are two things that we have to have. Listen very carefully. They're very simple. There are two things that we have to have. Hunger and humility. We have to have those two. You have to want it, and you have to be teachable. Listen, if you are not hungry, we cannot feed you. And if you're not humble, we cannot teach you. These are the two things that we have to have. And it's not just for you to be disciple, but listen, these are the two things that you have to possess. These are the two traits that you have to possess to grow as a Christian. Hunger and humility. Can I tell you? You know by now that I am not brilliant. I am not the brightest light in the ceiling. I'm not. But I'm so thankful. Because hunger and humility are unmistakable. Like, you don't need a PhD. You don't need a master's. You don't need a bachelor's and associate's. A diploma. When my son gets home after cross country practice, he's hungry. And it's obvious. I'm like, wow, bro, that was two bites and you're done. And he's looking like he's right in the fridge. I mean, he's hungry. When someone is hungry, When someone brings an appetite to your kitchen table for discipleship or they bring an appetite to life fellowship for the word of God, it's unmistakable. It's unmistakable. When they're humble and you can teach them, it's unmistakable. They're not arguing with you. They're not challenging you. Their ears are open. Their eyes are open. Their minds are open. Their hearts are open. They're saying, feed me. I'll I'll listen. I'll learn. Give me more, please. Versus, well, how do you know that's right? What did you come up with that? Well, prove that to me. Mm, Man, (laughs) you're not ready. You're not hungry and you're not humble. Now, down the stretch here, brothers and sisters, what Peter says in verse 3 commands great attention. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, we said earlier that people ultimately do not grow spiritually because they don't want to. But in verse 3, we discover their first condition that we have to have to grow spiritually. Here it is. Salvation is the starting point 
of spiritual growth. This is where it starts. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When you and I are saved by grace through faith, okay, at that moment, guess what we did? We tasted that the Lord is gracious. We tasted His grace at salvation. Now, this ushers us to two very critical points as we land the plane this morning on this. The first is this, one of the reasons for the lack of a desire for spiritual growth is because there has not been a true conversion. That is one of the reasons that there is no lack, that, that there is a lack of a desire to grow. The individual has not been born again. They haven't. And if you're not saved, if you have not been born again, if you have not believed on the gospel, there will not be a want to for this. Again, it's just another book. It's just a book among books. That's one of the reasons. Listen, it's interesting how, like, we, we absolutely get this and we embrace this biologically. Because I've known of situations where, for whatever reason, like, an infant didn't have an appetite. They didn't desire the sincere milk. And whenever that's happened, you know what I've also noticed, rightfully so, there is genuine concern from the parents. So what do they do? <laughs> hey, we go make a doctor's appointment. Hey, what's going on? This person, my, my daughter, my son doesn't want to eat. And yeah, it's a big deal. But yet when it comes to spiritually speaking, we see people that are the same person, Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, there's no movement whatsoever. They're not growing. Where's the alarm? Where's the concern? Because hear me as I close. One of the proofs that someone has not been saved is a lack of desire for the word of God. That's why it's so concerning. When you see someone who's claiming to be a Christian, yet they don't want this, no appetite for it, no love for it, something is severely wrong. They don't desire this sincere milk of the word. And so as I close today, The disciplines that you have in your life at this very moment are the result of whether or not you desire this milk. If this is your desire, then your disciplines are going to be right. But if this is not your desire, 
You have made space in your life for things that are grieving the Spirit of God and absolutely smothering your growth. One of the things that concerns me as I watch people get older, and I'm, I'm talking to myself here too, I'm getting older, we're all getting older. Okay, it's called life. But one of the things that I have noticed too many times from people who have been in church for decades, as they get older, their desire for this book lessens. The fire, the love, the passion, the conviction, the interest dwindles. God forbid. Lord, help us to think on the things that you have shared with us from your word today. God, help us to make whatever heart attitude adjustment we need to make, whatever you have spoken to us about, however you have dealt with us, God, that becomes the most important thing for us to address today, nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.